We continue this series, but before I start, I have a story about 15 minutes. Not the 15 minute story, it's about the number 15 minutes. A few days ago, my wife asked me if I could attend our daughter's, she had a concert, um, and she said, can you come? And I said, okay, okay. So in my mind, when I work my schedule and I can come, I did my part. So I said, okay, I can go. And she said, okay, we'll leave at one. So I have a theology class, so I timed it somewhere in the, in the middle of it. And um, the, that night, she said, you know we have to change the schedule. Because someone told me there's going to be this and that and that and traffic. She said, we have to leave earlier. I was like, no, we're not going to leave earlier. One o'clock is fine. She said, we have to try to leave earlier. You know, husbands and wives, when you have these discussions, it's called the stare down. So she said, 1230. She said, it's just 30 minutes. I said, it is 30 minutes. And that's why we're going to stay at one. Then she said, 1245. Final. It's like she's offering me a bargain. Final offer. My wife's over there um, listening. So I have to tell a good version of this story. Uh, 1245. And I said, it's one o'clock. And in my mind, I even said this. I did all this stuff already. I worked the schedule. I figured things out. I'm going, are you not happy? In my mind, I have a right. A right that when I made effort, she must also then say, okay, good enough. So she said one last thing. She said, fine, 1250. What did I say as a good husband? No, it's one o'clock. In my mind, it doesn't really matter. What's 10 minutes? But you know when your pride is somewhere there? I didn't want to give in. I thought I am not going to lose this discussion. I want to help her learn to listen to her husband And so we ended up leaving at 11 (laughs) a.m. Somehow, you know, husbands, when you fight a battle and you lose an entire war, I don't know how she did it, some miracles that wives have, I just, I couldn't win, and then, but she's amazing, she's here, Uh, I learned something. I learned what our message is about. It's called Surrender Your Rights. When you hear the words, surrender your rights, or the sentence, do you feel an allergic reaction? Many people don't like that sentence. They, especially nowadays, if you go online, my rights, my rights, you know, if you are, uh, what's the word here? If you are unsafe, I have the right to cancel, eject. We have all these ways of thinking. But the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 8, and most of chapter 9. So we're going to go fast. When I start going, one of the pastors messaged me and said, maybe you should go slower. So I said, okay, I will go faster. No, I, I'm nice. I said, I'll try. But I tend to talk fast. If I talk fast, you can wave at me and just go like this, and then I will try to slow down. But I'll do my best because I just naturally talk fast now. My wife, I used to talk slow, and she said, you need to speed up. So now I don't slow down. <laughs> the, the topic is to surrender our rights and it's about 1 Corinthians. And we're going to open in prayer right here. Dear Lord, thank you that we have the privilege as a church to come together and worship you and learn about you. Lord, I pray that as we go through 1 Corinthians 8 and most of 9, that you would be with us, that you would override my preparation, you would speak through me, and that everyone listening, whether here in person or online or later on, wherever they are, 
that your Holy Spirit would, would grab their hearts and so they can hear you speak to them and that they would be blessed, encouraged, and drawn closer to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So our message today um, is about surrendering your rights. And when you hear that word, I want you to think of this. Surrendering your rights or our rights means that we are choosing to love God and others in our response, even if it looks like we are on the losing end. I said it looks like because at the end you will see we're on the winning end with Jesus. But it looks like we're losing because we're giving up something. There's three main points. You surrender your rights first to build others up. You surrender your rights to protect others, and then you surrender your rights for the gospel, which will wrap it up. Sometimes, because of our knowledge, so this is to build others up, right? Because of what we know, and I shared this earlier, we feel we have the right to be right, right? Sometimes, because of the things I know, we feel we have the right to be right. And Paul talks about this. And I'm going to talk a little bit about knowledge. He says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols. I'll explain this. But this is an area back then that there was people that did not want to eat food that was offered to idols. And it bothered their conscience. And they looked down on those that did. So there's a whole debate going on, right? He's saying concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. So he says, we know. And I can say that to you guys. We know that we have knowledge. You've been to church. You've been reading online. We have knowledge. Here's the warning. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. He didn't say knowledge is bad. But he said knowledge makes arrogant and love builds up. That's the word edify. Ah, I don't remember the Tagalog word. Someone sent it to me. What is the Tagalog word for edify? So we're getting closer to the Tagalog service. I'm going to add a Tagalog word. Uh, uh, someone sent me a Tagalog word. I'm sorry. I, I can't. Oh, here it is. Because in the first service, I said, build up is construction. He said, that does not work. It's pagsig lahin. Make sense? Yes. Or how about this? Nakakasigla. It's good? So, love, what does love do? Edifies. We have to remember that as we learn. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. Think of that verse. So when you think you know something, he's warning you. You have not yet known as you ought to know. In the context of this idea of what, what you know, what is the dangers of knowledge? You have to understand how knowledge and love come together. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. I'll explain that later. Let me show you why knowledge is important. Paul is not saying, hey, if you think you know something, you don't know anything at all, forget it. No. He's saying, be careful. Knowledge makes you proud. Love builds people up. So he's telling us, these are the things you must look for when you look for knowledge. What is the right kind of knowledge? It's not just knowing something. Knowledge has to come with something else to be the right kind. Before we show that, the reason I know knowledge is important, Paul does the do you not know. And remember, my father, others talked about this. There's so many do you not know. And Paul's saying, what you know actually changes who you are. As you learn truth, it matures you. 
So all of us here, we come to church, we learn things. Do you not know you are a temple of God? And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's 316. We have 62, saints will judge the world. We have 63, we will judge angels. You know, I didn't, that's amazing truths, right? All the way down, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. All these truths, when you know them, it impacts you. So it's important to know, but what is the right kind of knowing versus the wrong kind? The wrong kind of knowing, Paul already showed it to you. How do you know if your knowing is the right kind? You're growing in the right knowledge. It's because knowledge that does arrogance and tears down, that's wrong. If the more you know, the more critical you become. It doesn't mean you're saying truth doesn't matter. It's how you apply the truth. If you become more judgmental, then something's wrong with your knowledge. If, as you learn, you grow in love, and then you build people up more and more, even as you stand for the truth, then your knowledge is growing in the right direction. So that is what those verses are saying. Look at 1 Timothy 1.5. The goal of our instruction is... To know everything. No, to love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So instruction, learning stuff, is supposed to lead to these things. Where um, in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 2, it also says, if I have, if I speak tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and look at this, I know all mysteries. Imagine that. Someone who knows all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and I have all faith so I can move mountains, or can move mountains, but do not have love, I am what? If you don't have love, you are nothing, according to to this verse, right? So remind your neighbor who's looking forward to lunch, without love, you have nothing. You tell your neighbor, then you poke them to to keep them alive. Okay, so what should knowledge do? Our knowledge of God should transform us. That's where the love comes in. And help others become more like Christ. I am 48 years old. It has taken me 48 years, or actually maybe last year I learned, my wife said, to learn how to what? To those who will listen, teach it. To those who will argue, seek to understand. And to those who will disagree, learn to be gracious. You know, when my wife and I used to have arguments, I'm always teaching. I'm always lecturing. I'm always talking about You know, if you understand the gospel, you will be kind. If you understand the gospel, you will not lose your temper. What's my implication? I'm telling my wife, I understand the gospel. You're the problem. It's always that. It's always, you know, I know this. I know that. Do you know who my father is? I never say that to her. It doesn't work. But I do, right? I always tell her, I know these things. And what happened? It's so hard. She feels I don't listen. But... Knowledge, actually, finally, it clicked one day. You have to learn to understand people. So knowledge should be applied like this. To those who will listen, what do you do? Teach. So if you don't want to listen to me, what will we do? No, you're listening. 
To those who will argue, what do we do? We seek to understand. Why? You know, what's going on? So we listen. And to those who will disagree, what do we do? Be gracious. Hey, if you don't disagree for now, I can't change you, but God can. You don't say that out loud, but you pray, right? Be gracious. Imagine if you say that out loud. That's kind of like you're telling them you have a problem. God's going to have to judge you. So 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3, as we end this first part. Knowledge makes arrogant, love edifies. If someone thinks they know, he is not yet known as he ought to know if his knowledge is wrong. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. It's an interesting insert. This verse doesn't seem to belong because he doesn't talk about knowledge. Why? You know, he actually talks about knowledge, but the other way. He says what really matters is this. Love. If you love God, then more than knowledge, it's who knows you. Does God know you? He said God knows you. He is known by him. And this is the starting point of everything. This understanding that, hey, there is a heavenly father who knows you changes how you look at how you talk to people. And we know where love comes from. We love because he first loved us. So God is the one that gives us the love to love him. And we'll talk about that when we get to the last part. But this changes everything. So first point, we surrender our rights to what? To build others up. Second point, to protect others. Sometimes because of our maturity or what we know, we feel like we have the right to do things that are not necessarily sinful, but they may make others stumble. Have you ever experienced this? And we'll talk about examples as we go on. But in this passage, in 8, chap, verse 4, he says, Therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols. Now I will explain it. In their time, they had three practices that people were debating. The first is the Jewish holidays, observing them. The second is the drinking of wine. And the third is this, the eating of meat, which was sacrificed to idols. And what was happening, as I said, is there's a group that they feel it's wrong. Because the meat is sacrificed to an idol, therefore when they eat the meat, they feel they are worshiping an idol. But Paul is saying, we know, what do we know? There's no such thing as an idol. Even the idols people worship are not actually God. There's only one God. So really, there is no idol. There is just one God. For even if there are many gods, right, so-called many gods, whether in heaven or on earth, so people say these things, there is, indeed, there are many gods and many lords. This is amazing. Um, this slide should not be here, but I will uh, take a pause. Well, actually, I will go through this and I will say this. Yet for us, there is what? But one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. I'll explain that. So Paul is saying there is no such thing as an idol because there is one God. Now you might say, this is not so relevant. We don't 
worry about food offered to idols. But what do we worry about? These are the things we worry about, and I'll go one by one. Well, we drink. Is it okay to drink alcohol? Is it not? Well, what Paul is saying is, hey, be aware that for some people, it may not be okay. And if your brother feels it's wrong and he's with you, what will you do? What will we wear? Can I wear short shorts when I preach? If I did that, would you think, would you stumble? Right? Uh, what do I do with my hair? If I shave my hair, will that affect you? Is it okay if I put laser beams in my shaved head, right? Or markings? Or what we watch? Is it okay to watch K-drama that has no Christian values? Of course. Oh, I don't know. It's your decision, right? Um, I, I, they probably does. Is it okay to watch this or that? How about anime? What if it's Christian anime? Is it okay to listen to this music or that music? Or if the music has, it's not worship song, is it okay? Have you ever had these discussions, right? You know, my children, when they're listening to music, and then I found out it's, um, what's her name? Taylor Swift. What do I call my children? I said, are you becoming a Swifty or are you still a Jesus follower, right? No, it doesn't matter. But that's an example of the questions we ask. Where we go, whether a casino, are you allowed to walk to a casino, and so on and so forth. What we do on Sunday. People debate these things. And what Paul is telling us is what? Hey, before we talk about it more, we know there's one God. And he made us, and we were made for him. And we also know that he's a trinity. There's Jesus Christ, our Lord, one Lord, and we also are there because of him, and we exist through him. So he's telling us, hey, be aware of who God is in your life. And then he says, but not everyone, not all men have this knowledge. But some, being accustomed to the idol until now, what do they do? Eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So when someone eats food and they don't have that knowledge that there is no idols, they think, if I eat this food, I am sinning. And because their conscience is weak, what happens? They are defiled. It says, he says, but food, it doesn't commend us to God. Whether you eat or not, we are not worse if we do not eat. We are not better if we do eat. He says, you know what? It doesn't really matter. However, take care. But take care that this liberty of yours, so this freedom, if you are the person that says, hey, it's okay to eat, it's okay to eat this, it's okay to eat that, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So Paul is challenging all of us. And that's why I said the second point is what? Surrender your right to protect. You don't want the weak to stumble. If someone sees you, who have knowledge. If you are the person that thinks it's okay, dining at an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? So if they see you and, you know, it bothers them and then they are tempted to eat, will it not affect them? So notice, for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother 
for whose sake Christ died. This is again, knowledge, if not used with love, can destroy. So he's warning us, through your knowledge, look how strong the word is, you ruin your brother who also Christ died for, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience, what happens? You sin against Christ. This is a strong warning for all of us. And this is a tough pill to swallow. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, what will I do? I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. What is the standard Paul is saying? He didn't say, I will only eat meat when my brother is not there. He just gives an example. He says, if it causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat it again. Now, I don't believe Paul never ate meat again, but his standard is that high. My question for you, is there something or someone in your life that you, if you're not careful, the way you live will cause them to stumble, but you feel, I have a right, so I'm not going to change. The challenge for us is to protect my brother and sister in Christ if an action causes them to stumble Others may, but I may not. Puede sa iba, hindi puede sa akin. That is the challenge. And that is how we protect. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this idea. The weak and the strong. I want, to, I want you to understand a few things. Because I don't want you to go around saying, Oh, you, you, you're weak. You, I'm the strong one. The weak person, the weak of conscience. Normally, you think a weak conscience is someone who, um, what's the word here? A weak conscience is someone who gives in to sin easily. That's not the kind of weak conscience Paul is talking about. The weak conscience he's talking about is someone, I think the word used, Pastor Ricky reminded me, it's the less mature. The less mature, the weak Paul's talking about, they feel easily guilty. Madaling magilt and condemned. Those who are more mature, they have a sense of flexibility. They don't feel as guilty. And I'll explain more. The weak, they don't like gray areas. But the strong, they don't mind gray areas. And what does this mean? For the weak, or everything is either right or wrong. That's tama, that's not. This is right, this is wrong. It's always black and white. And what is Christian, what is non-Christian? You're always debating. And you want to make sure. And so it's always very, you know, the feeling is, it's, it's a little bit like, here, it's a little legalistic. For the strong, it does not need to evaluate everything. Hey, we can be flexible in this area. I'm not saying the strong give in to sin and say whatever goes. It's just that's the mindset. But we have to be careful because the weak can seem legalistic. And the idea is, unless the Bible allows it, you cannot. But the strong has a danger also. It can seem licentious. What is that? Unless the Bible forbids it, everything's okay. If it's not in the Bible, you can do it. The Bible doesn't say no, just anything goes. Both have to be careful. Both need to grow in maturity. One, to understand the weak. And the one, to understand the mature and grow in maturity. Both, if not careful, do not accept each other. 
We don't want to be either of those. If you are less mature, you want to grow in maturity. If you are more mature, you have to carry the weak. You have to give in and be the one to make effort. Romans 14, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment. One person has faith that they can eat all things. Another one can only eat vegetables, the one who is weak. The one who does not, who eats, should not look down on the one who does not eat. You shouldn't look down and say, Ay, ikaw, your conscience is so weak, right? You're so picky. And the one who does not eat should not judge the one who eats. You, you're not a Christian. You eat stuff you shouldn't eat, right? So both have to be loving, for God has accepted him. So, in churches, this also happens, not just among people. Churches are picking on other churches. And online, people will complain about what someone else is doing and this and that. We have to remember, in essentials, unity. So we will never sacrifice the truth that's in God's word. But in non-essentials, there's so many non-essentials nowadays. Liberty. In all things, charity and love. Third point. What is the first one? Surrender your rights to build others up. Second point, to protect others. And the last point, for the gospel. I would like to ask our sister, Andrea, to share what the gospel did for her. Andrea, will you please come up? Please give her a round of applause. I grew up with an abusive father. He beat us up at night when he was drunk and shouted at us in the morning. When I was in first grade, my parents had a huge fight that led my mom to leave him, taking me and my three siblings with her. It was the saddest moment of my childhood. Because of this, I developed bitterness towards my dad and resented him from not being a responsible father. Together with my mom, we started a new life without him. My mom worked hard to provide for all our needs, including sending all of us children to school. Growing up, I had a distorted view of God. Because of what happened to my family, I saw God as someone who abandoned us and didn't care for us. I didn't even know if he was real or not. In 2006, my mom brought us with her to CCF. She encouraged us to join the youth ministry called Jason, now Elevate. I attended my first True Life retreat in 2010, and there, I had an overwhelming encounter with God. I realized I was a sinner who needed His abundant grace. In that retreat, God revealed Himself to me as my Heavenly Father. A Father who has loved me unconditionally, the Father I had been longing to have. I surrendered my whole life to God that weekend and committed my life in service for His kingdom. It wasn't an easy journey. I needed to let go of my bitterness and resentment towards my father. My pride, insecurities, anger, and past hurts. I needed to accept that I can no longer change what happened in the past. On the last day of the retreat, I chose to forgive my dad and miraculously, all bitterness turned into compassion for him. 
I began praying for the opportunity to be reconciled to him so that I can share the same love God showed me. God was also working in my family. All of us were growing in our relationship with him. We started serving actively in various ministries in CCF and even started our own discipleship groups. God also blessed us with a comfortable life. We were enrolled in a private school, had our own family car, and a good place to live. But God began to test our faith. In the span of three years, all of these sources of comfort were taken away from us. My mom had a difficult time providing for our needs in the years after that. As our family problems began to pile up again, I began to question God. Just when things were going well, how can God allow this to happen? Disheartened by our situation, I detached myself from church community and lost accountability with my small group leader, thinking that she could never understand our situation anyway. Instead, I sought acceptance from friends and entered in a wrong relationship. My ex-boyfriend and I started, started to compromise our purity and committed sexual immorality, a sin I never imagined I would do. But God did not allow me to continue this destructive path. The Holy Spirit strongly convicted me as I realized the gravity of my sins. I ended that relationship and went back to God. As I sought God every day, I found healing in the story of David. He repented from his sins and was called a man after God's own heart. I wanted the same thing for my life. I knew that part of God's restoration is for me to confess my sins to my family and the group. I was afraid of what they would say, but God gave me the courage to do it. I could not believe their gracious reaction towards me. They forgave, accepted, and loved me unconditionally. And through enough, God used my family, my D group, and church community to help me recover and heal. As my mom continued to struggle to make ends meet, I volunteered to stop schooling. I was in the middle of college that time, and I wasn't sure if I will ever be able to finish college. I was tempted to feel discouraged again, but this time, I was determined to persevere like David. I took free classes in TESDA so that I can work afterwards to help support my family. I used this time to serve God again by starting a small Bible study in TESDA. Sharing Him to others brought me back to my calling as a discipler. And slowly but surely, I went back to serving him again in the youth ministry where God first met me. After three years, when all my siblings have graduated from college, God allowed me to go back to school to finish my degree in college. God gave me the strength to excel in my academics, work as a student, and to serve through campus ministry of Elevate TIPQC. Before I left my school, I shared the gospel from one classroom to another, reaching out to my classmates and professors. As I experienced the journey of serving God in the campus, he impressed in my heart to apply as a campus missionary after I graduated from college. By God's grace, this is my third year serving as 
serving God full time in Elevate North Edsa. Praise God. As for my dad, God opened doors for me to minister to him by visiting him from time to time, celebrating birthdays and occasions with him. Although he still refuses to go to church with us, I believe that just as God has been faithful and gracious to me, I will not give up reaching out to him and loving him unconditionally. I am Andrea Maralit, once filled and controlled by bitterness, but now filled and controlled by the love of God. You know, um, I wanted her testimony right at the start of this third part. Because I hope that in her story, you saw how the gospel changed everything. And how that gospel is something she had passion to then share with her classmates and then to serve. So Andrea, thank you. Uh, we'll pray for your father, but let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Andrea and uh, her life. And thank you for the story she shared with us. I pray, Lord, that we will learn from her example and that you will bless her, Lord. You know the desires of her heart for her father to come to know you. So I lift that up to you and I pray for everything in her life, all the things she's involved in, all the concerns she has. Would you be with her, uh, walk with her day by day and, and show her great favor and blessing. So thank you for Andrea. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Surrender your rights as we wrap up the last section for the gospel. You know, this is so amazing because, well, this quote is a bit of an insert. But sometimes, because we serve God, we feel we have the right to something. And this example is here for Paul. So before I explain what the gospel does, Paul said all these things about, I will not, I will give up my liberty for my brother. Uh, so they won't stumble, etc., etc. right? I will never do this, I will never do that. Then he gives an example of his own life. Shayung testimony. And what is his testimony? He says, you know, I serve God and I have things I deserve. What are these things? And so we'll go through the verses. There's a lot of verses, 23. I'll go a little fast, but we'll make it. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So some people were criticizing Paul. They were, they were questioning, is he really an apostle or is he, you know, when you compare him to the other apostles, and he's saying, look, I've seen Jesus. Are you not my work? Are you not the evidence? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you because you have experienced my ministry. You are the seal of my apostleship. Interesting. He has to defend himself to some of the people he's serving. Sometimes that happens in church, right? You, you have a D group, you're leading, and then they're criticizing you. And it's so hard. You're trying to figure out what's going on. So Paul is defending himself. He says he has certain rights. He says, my defense to those who examine me. So people are examining. This is my defense. Do we not have the right to eat or drink? So he's saying, if I serve God, can't I eat in the church? Do we have a right to take along a believing wife like the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Can I also do that? Or is it only Barnabas and I that do not have the right to not work, right? So he's saying, surely the apostles, you don't tell them they have to work. How come 
for us, do you feel we, we have to also earn our own money even as we serve the Lord? Paul is going to give five arguments why he has rights. Common practice, scriptural, intrinsic justice, Jewish custom, and the command of Christ. We're going to go through them pretty quick. But he says, I have rights based on these reasons. Rights, rights, rights. What? And we'll see where he's going. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? If you're a soldier, do we tell our soldiers, Oi, punta ka sa guerra, go to the war, but you must also find your own food. No, we provide food. We provide rations. If you plant a vineyard, can you not eat? So if you have a farm, can you eat from your own farm? Or if you tend a flock, can you use the milk of the flock? I am speaking of these things according to human judgment. Does not the law also say these things? So the first one, guys, this is common sense. Secondly, the Bible also says something about this. Let's look at it. It is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen. So he's saying, you know, if you look at the Bible, it says, if there's an ox and it's working, you don't muzzle it. You know, you don't cover its mouth so it can't eat. But is God really talking about the ox? Or is he speaking for us? Yes, for our sake, it was written because the plowman, again, if you are working, you ought to plow in hope. And if you're a thresher in hope that you can share from the crops. So I hope, right? You guys, when you work... You hope you can get from what you do. That's why you expect a salary. Paul is saying, what am I doing? I am serving the Lord. I should be able to get food from the church, etc., etc. So this is also from the Bible. He says, the third one. Are we the third one? If we sowed spiritual things. So if I invest in you spiritually, is it too much if you then repay me with material things? If others share this right over you, so... Surely you allow the apostle this, the apostle that. How much more me? I'm the one that, you know, you are the seal of my apostleship. He's saying, but, this is a big but. Nevertheless, we did not use this right. But we endure all things that we will cause no hindrance. This is what I'm saying, to the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying, you know, I have rights. But I am not using my rights. Why? I do not want to hinder the gospel. Why does he say that? You know, if if people think, well, Paul is getting money from us when he teaches, they might think, is he really loving us or is he doing this for the money? Now, obviously, Paul's saying, you should be able to get paid, but I don't do it. So he's saying, look, there is the right to get paid, but I don't do it. And then the last two... Do you not know that those who perform uh, in the temple, right, sacred services, eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? You study the Bible. The priests, they're supposed to get food from the temple. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So this one is the Jewish tradition, and this one is the Christ command. You know, Jesus said it. So Paul is saying, look, guys, I have a right to... Get this, this, and this, and this. But I have used how many? None. None of these things. And I am not writing 
these things so that it will be done in my case. Hindi ako nagpaparinig. You know that? People say, when you have an issue, you write to someone, you know, I have a right, I have a right. But what do you really want? You really want them to give you something. Paul's saying, I'm not asking for anything. I'm just letting you know. For it would be better for me, I'd rather die than have any man make my boast an empty one. Paul is actually, in a sense, proud, even though he's not proud, but he's proud about this, that he serves for free. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. So he's saying, look, but even if I preach, I cannot boast because I do it because I have to. I am under compulsion, right? Because of God, what has God had done in my life. I am compelled. For woe is to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. This verse seems confusing. But he's basically saying, look, in any case, this is the reasons. If I do it voluntarily, I get a reward. And so he does, right? He does. And he'll tell us his reward later. But if I against my will, and even if I didn't do it voluntarily, well, I have to do it because I have a stewardship from God. So he says, what is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge. What is his reward? Anong reward ni Paul? His reward is that he will offer the gospel. The gospel is his reward. So I was not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Why is the gospel his reward? What is Paul saying? God desires for his church to support his workers. Paul is not after the support nor the prestige. Paul is compelled to share the gospel and be able to do it for free, not making use of his rights. Ah, I said edit it. That he is able to do this is a reward. That he can preach the gospel is a reward. I am so blessed by the volunteers and the pastors and everyone that serves at CCF. You know, CCF reminds me or of Paul's model. How many of you here are D-group leaders? Can you raise your hands? D-group leaders, arise. Now, you don't have to stand up, but you raise your hands, right? What is the salary of a D-group leader? Blood, sweat, tears, and pakain pa, diba? You have to be the one to make pakain, not always. But do D-group leaders get rewarded? Yes, but in a different way, right? You know, our pastors, you know what I noticed about them? I know it's hard because some of you don't get access to the pastors because there's so many people, but if you meet them, they have such a gentle, humble, down-to-earth servant heart. I can't tell you how blessed I am. You know why? Because they started as D-group leaders. They don't expect anything. And then they become council of servants, which we even call council of slaves. And they just give their time. And then one day, God calls them to become full-time. But up to now, some of our pastors are not full-time, right? Our senior pastors, some pastors in some satellites... This is the model. It's like Paul. So for those of you who are D-group leaders, or you volunteer, you serve, praise God for you. It is not in vain, and God will take care of you, and we will learn how the gospel is your reward. But I have to plug for my brother, who volunteers for the sports ministry. Any singles in the house? 
Singles? Are you here? Are you falling asleep on me? Singles, can you wave so I can see you? And you can see each other? Yes. If you are single and you want to mingle, come to the sports camp. You know, sports is such a fun way for singles to meet. There is basketball. There is volleyball. There is swimming. There is badminton. There is MMA. This one I'm a little confused. Paano MMA? But yes. Guy against guy lang. There is pickleball. There is handball. Frisbee. What else? Fitness. Dance, table tennis, and more. So, why did I plug this? Many of the people that serve here and serve in Elevate, volunteers. And part of that is because of the gospel. So come if you're a single, take a picture, go. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 20. The last four verses. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself what? A slave to all. So that I may win more. Look what Paul says. I am free. I can do it. So many things. I make myself a slave. That sounds like what? Surrender your rights. Why? That I may win more. What is he trying to win? Not prestige, not money. Souls. To the Jews I became a Jew so that I may win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law so that I might win those who are under the law. That sounds like chapter 8. To those who have a conscience that says you cannot do this, you cannot do that, then I also do not do this, I do not do that. Even though I'm not under the law. But to those who are without the law as without the law. There's people that have no law Okay, I become without law. But he doesn't say I am lawless. He says, though I still have a law, it is God's law and under the law of Christ, which is a higher law. So that I might what? I might win those without the law. To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. You know, not everyone you minister to. Not everyone you go to will become, will, will listen. But the, for those that minister, some will. And those are the ones that make it all worth it. I do all things, this is my prayer for all of us, for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. This gospel is so powerful. It is the foundation of points one and two. If the gospel is your starting point, you will grow in knowledge that leads to love. If the gospel is your starting point, you will be willing to let go of your rights to protect others. There's a story of two years after the Titanic. Everyone knows the Titanic, right? The Kate Winslet and then the singing, that song. I don't remember the song, but it's so popular. But there's another ship called the Empress of Ireland. In 1914, it was hit by another ship. It had 1,400 passengers. And the other ship was called the Storstad. In 14 minutes, it sunk. There were 1,400 passengers. Only 400 made it. About 1,000 died. In that ship, there was 170 Salvation Army Christian volunteers. They supposedly 
were near the life jackets, but so few of them survived. What happened? Story after story, time again, would come out about a young man, a young woman, who would swim up to the survivors and give their own life jacket, and then they would go on and swim to other people, sharing the gospel. They gave their life jackets away so that others could live. One survivor, a big guy, told the story of a young lady who gave her jacket to him, life jacket. He felt guilty and he threw it back. And she said, are you a Christian? And he said, no. So she pushed it back or threw it back and said, I'm ready to die, but you are not. So you need to live. This man, when he shared the story with tears, said that night I was saved twice. First from the water and then from my sins. And he became a believer. The Salvation Army, you can read the story. There's a few posts about it, but I don't, again, I just found it. The one who started it has a quote. A salvation that does not lead to service is no salvation at all. So if you have experienced the gospel, are you willing to do whatever it takes to bring that gospel to others? It's not just something that lives in our minds, but in our hearts. So the three points, build others up, we surrender our lights to protect others and for the gospel. My question for you is what is the gospel to you? What does it mean to you? Is it that powerful? Is it the, the knowledge that is the foundation of everything for you? You know, whatever you're going through. This week, I received a, a call, a message. It was uh, four or five days ago. And someone uh, asked me if I can do a wake service for a four-year-old. You know, I, I really was so busy. I have a message to prepare. And so I was avoiding the service. I said, it's far. It's in Sukkot. I said, I don't, you know, I, who, who is asking? It's your friend. And I said, oh, is your friend go to CCF? Where are they from? I had all these questions. And I was preparing this message. And, and my friend posted one message. And the message said this. They're just hoping for someone to share the gospel to the family. What do you do when you receive that message? And I'm supposed to speak Saturday night normally, right? But Pastor Marty literally this week said, you know, Peter, I'd like to speak Saturday. So I'll do it instead of you. So my Saturday suddenly became what? free, (laughs) even though I have to prepare. So when she sent that message, God hit me with an uppercut. He said, what do you think you're preparing for? Are you going to focus on the message and all the knowledge? Or are you going to go on a traffic night to Sukkot and share the gospel for me? 
So I met this family for the first time in my life. It's David, Bianca, their daughter, Violet, in a casket, who loves the ocean and the beach and her newly born baby brother, Ocean. And my heart... What do you say? I was so glad I went. My reward last night was to see the family, to be able to share the gospel with their non-Christian family members. You know, you know what was so cool? I was more blessed. When I went in the place, there, there was um, balloons, there was all her pictures. I, I had a picture I didn't include it, all her artwork. You know, she, she was, they said she never, she was such a good girl, but she knew the Lord. And so they actually did not want to do a memorial service. They wanted to do a celebration. And it was so touching. And I read this quote, it's death to the Christian is the funeral of all their sorrows and evils, not of the Christian. It is the resurrection of all our joys. So I put the name of their daughter and I read this before I shared the gospel. It said, death for Violet, her name is Violet, is the funeral of all her sorrows and the resurrection of all her joys. You know the parents, they will see her again. It's a short time in the twinkling of an eye. And why is that special? You know, what other message do we have? I can give hope to a world that is broken. No matter how much money you give, it's never enough. There's nothing we can do that is more powerful, nothing more meaningful, nothing more helpful, and that will bring more joy to a person's life than share the gospel. And if that gospel is the gospel you have experienced, if you came from a place where you were broken, if you understand that the gospel shows you how much God loves you. How, how do we know that? Because Jesus died. If we understand that the gospel shows us how terrible sin is, how does it tell us? Can you imagine? For the wages of sin is what? Death. Oh yeah, what is that? Yeah. And I'll read this. Then I'll read the other verse. For God... So love the world because the wages of sin is death and it's so terrible. He didn't throw a band-aid on it. What did he do? He gave his only son who surrendered first. God. So when you struggle with your rights, if you know the gospel, you know that because of your sin, you, because of the mistake you made, God surrendered 
the greatest thing. What is more special in all of creation and every universe that is made after this and every universe, who knows, I don't know what else is out there than the life of the one who made everything. And who did he give this for? For us. If you know that, isn't it such a small thing to surrender your rights? It's okay. That's what my father did. And I'm happy to be like him. So that whoever what? Believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If your life has become stale as a Christian, if you've become judgmental, if you have a hard time surrendering your rights, I believe one of the challenges is you've forgotten the gospel. And the gospel is never meant to just be kept. If you just receive it and you say, oh, now I'm going to heaven, I'm going to run in my lane. Something's wrong. If you receive it, you will never stop giving it away. Imagine you can give to people something worth more than a trillion dollars and to every person who will receive it and it's free. You'll never run out of it. There's nothing better. Look at this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is the gospel as I close? It's a gift that we have the privilege of being used to give. God will use you. It is the greatest gift. It is free. It is believing in Jesus. That is it. There's a verse. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I now will ask everyone here, are you going to heaven? And you will say, I don't know. Not everyone, right? Some people will say, I don't know. And I'll say, why? And you'll say, because I don't know if I've been good enough. It doesn't say that. It says, whoever calls on the Lord, and here, whoever believes in him, that's it, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? When you believe in Jesus, changes everything. Jesus enters your life. The Holy Spirit works in your life. You change, but the good is never what gets you to heaven. It is just the fruit of a tree that is now a different tree. Let us remember that. And as we wrap up, what is our point? Where's my slides? It's not there. I'll just leave it there. Surrender your rights first. Why? To build others up. Second, to protect others. And third, for the gospel. And that gospel is what allows us to do everything. And let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for your, for the gospel. And if there's anyone here, as I'm praying, who has not experienced the gospel, if you're not sure, I just want to pray with you. It's not the prayer. It's just that simple act of believing. And if you're struggling to believe, well, welcome to the club. And just tell God, I believe in you, and we're going to pray it together. Dear Lord, thank you that you died for my sins on the cross to pay for that sin. I believe in you. I trust you to save me, 
I place my life in your hands. I may not feel it, but you said if I believe, I am saved. Thank you for saving me and giving me eternal life. Help me to continue to change, to become the person you made me to be. Now I want to pray for everyone else, including those who have given their life to Christ. Dear Lord, thank you that you are the greatest example of some of surrendering rights. And I pray that we will do it in service of you to build others up, to protect others, and lastly, for the gospel. May it burn in our hearts. May we be excited to share it in whatever way we can. I pray a, pray a blessing over everyone here. Will you just work in their lives? Bless them. Will you encourage them? If there's challenges they're going through, will you be the one to remind them that you are there? That because of the gospel, we have you with us now until we see you face to face. And I pray uh, for the rest of the week that you would just bless them and their families and everyone that's watching online as well. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, CCF family. Welcome to Sunday Fast Track, where you ask real-life questions and we give you biblical truths. I am Jimmy Opleda from NextGen Ministry, and we are here today with our speaker, Peter Tanchi Jr., to answer some of your questions. There are some people listening today who may have been hurt or felt condemned by Christians because of the way they voice their beliefs and convictions. Perhaps these people are no longer interested in learning more about Jesus or coming to church because of it. Is there anything you can share with people who are feeling this way? Yeah, first of all, I would like to apologize because I think part of the challenges we face today is the church has not done a good job at being loving at times. You know, we have to remember that people are in church not because they're perfect, but because they are sinners who need Jesus Christ. So in church, there are people that are still learning and they're growing in love and they struggle. They are judgmental. And part of growing in maturity is to grow in love. So ideally, we should be growing closer and closer to Jesus. And as we do that, we become kinder and kinder. The truth is there are people that struggle with that. So if you have met people like that in church, I'm sorry, but please keep coming because there are many that are loving. Thank you, Brother Peter, for answering our questions. And before we close, for all the families out there who would like to learn and bond and grow their relationship at home, we invite you to join our Across Motivate Family Camp happening on October 6 to 8 at the MMRC Batangas. To sign up, visit the CCF Across Ministries Facebook or scan the QR code on the screen. See you there! And that's it for Sunday Fast Track. God bless. God bless.